Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode number eight. I'm your host, Derek Moore, and this week I'm going to be talking about valuation. Really, when we talk about valuation, uh, more specifically, going to get into what's called the Warren Buffett indicator or the Buffett indicator. You know, anytime the market's reaching all time highs, I often get some questions around is the value too high? Is it not too high? How do you actually? try and figure it out. There's things like the, uh, the Schiller PE ratio. Um, but this Buffett indicator, I've started to see articles on it. And so I thought it'd be worth doing a short podcast to get into it, how you calculate it, where you find the data and maybe some, some pros and cons on it. Look, I mean, trying to time the markets is really difficult. And it's one of the reasons why I advocate to using strategies that have buffers or downside, uh, you know, caps or, or protections in them. That way, if the market continues to rise, you get to participate in it. If the market sells off uh, materially, you are looking to uh, stop the downside and contain it. But all of this, this thing called the Buffett indicator, it actually started a long time. Well, I can't believe it's a long time ago. But back in 1999, and I'll link to an article on it, and I'll link to uh, where you get this data, but... There was an article that essentially summarized the talk that Buffett gave in 1999. You remember 1999 was really the last, you know, full year of of that strong 82 to 99 through 99 bull market. And then of course we had the the tech crash that started in March of 2000 or the te- you know the declines. But we keep you know I hear about this, I get questions on it. It started from that article. And the article I believe it was Forbes or Fortune, I'll link to it. It was explained that you could sort of have an idea of valuation by taking or dividing the total market cap of all stocks by, by the gro- gross domestic product or gross national product. And when you do that, it produces a percentage and, and it's sort of a, a valuation metric. And by the way, the, the total market cap I'll link to it as the Federal Reserve Bank or Fred of St. Louis, Fred for short. It's actually listed as, uh, I don't know why they call this, but non-financial corporate business, corporate equities, liability level. In other words, what's the, the market cap? And then, of course, gross domestic product is a measure of the, the U.S. economy, all finished goods in the economy. Um, those, remember, though, those come out quarterly. And so as we're sitting today in September of 2018, we are through the second estimate of Q2 GDP. Remember the the quarter ends, you get a first estimate, a second estimate, and then the final uh, quarterly number. And so I'll post, I'm going to write an article on this and I'll post to it where I've graphed the percent market cap to nominal GDP. I put it in a graph, but just keep in mind the, the, Numbers that we have are only through, uh, you know, that Q2. And so when this is produced, and, and by the way, um, you can, besides that kind of long-sounding thing, you can actually use the total market index, uh, the Wilshire total market index. But just keep in mind that, you know, GDP is not updated daily like a market index is. And so if you really want to compare apples to apples, or I shouldn't say compare, but the two data sets, you can use those two I mentioned. But if you want to get an estimate of 
kind of on a percentage basis where it's going, you can use that Wilshire index and maybe you can estimate where the nominal GDP will go. But besides how to do it, so again, it's taking the market cap uh, using that number divided by the nominal GDP and you come up with a percentage. And the higher the, the percentage market cap to gross domestic product, the more perceived uh, it is to be overvalued and the lower it is, uh, the more it's perceived to be at a lower value. You know, if we kind of think about historically, in the tech boom of the late 1990s, the ratio was up close to 160%, right around there. Prior to the Great Recession, uh, it was actually, you know, around one, oh, I don't know, 117 or so, um, just under 120%. And most recently, uh, we've seen it go above 140%. So give you an idea, and you can look at the chart when I link to the article, I'll put it on there. But the idea is investors watching this ratio is that stocks are more likely to offer a higher probability of good returns when it is low and a lower probability of good returns when it's high. Now, I'll get to some of the, the sort of the cons of this, and, and I think this will be important, and especially important when we frame things around interest rates as I think one of the, the limitations I see purely using this as a standalone is that it doesn't really alter itself or, or make an accommodation uh, based upon what the interest rate is. And so, and, and Buffett talked about this as captured in the article about how important interest rates are, and I'll get to that for a second. Um, but, well, actually, let's get to it now. So in the article, one of the things that Buffett did was he said, look, in the period 1964 to nine, through 1981, you had interest rates continue to rise. And then, and by the way, the Dow Jones, uh, just looking at the index from 64 to 99, I'm sorry, through uh, 81, essentially it was zero. You had zero gain in the index, you know, that, that excludes dividends. And then you have this period from 1982, beginning of 82 through the end of 99, and of course, you know, early 2000 as well, where the market was up, not including dividends, over a thousand percent. It was probably the, the, the greatest, one of the greatest, you know, probably the greatest bull market period in history. Um, there's really no other time frame that, that had those types of returns. And you think of 64 to through 81, you saw interest rates going up. And I'll, I'll discuss in a second why interest rates matter with regard to, to valuation and, and future cash flows, i.e. earnings. To put this in perspective, in I think it was 81 or early 82, the three-month treasury bill, which by the way is used a lot as the discount rate or what we call the risk-free rate of return, um, was about 15% meaning you could buy a three-month treasury bill and get 15%. Heck, you could have bought a 30-year treasury bond and gotten right around there. Imagine getting, you know, putting all your money in a U.S. government bond that's going to get you 15% a year. That's better than the, the average over 90-plus you know, years in equities. So that tells you how high interest rates were. But from 82 through 99, we saw interest rates come down from those unbelievable highs. And this is an important thing, and the reason why I bring this up is 
you, know, you could have the market value at a certain level, but when interest rates are low, you get the benefit of having, a, having to discount less future earnings. And, and here's what I mean. And Buffett talked about this with regards to how you, you sort of have to value a company. If we think about, you know, imagine you're, you're a company and, or you're an analyst at a company and, and uh, you say, look, we think we're going to have earnings, I'll use a nice round number, of $110,000 one year from today. And so part of the way that you sort of value, you know, the, the quote unquote value of a stock is the present value of future expected cash flows. And that could be a year out, it could be a couple years out. And of course, analyst expectations change, forecast change, guidance changes from companies. But if we look, if we were going to get earnings or free cash flow or a payment of $110,000 one year from today, and interest rates are 1%, well, the present value of that cash flow in one year is about $108,910 and then some change. So it's very close to that, uh, we call it, you know, the, the present value and, and the future value. Anyone's ever had to take an economics or rather a finance course probably spent a lot of time on present value, future values. But essentially what you have to do is you discount down a future value by whatever the, the risk-free rate is or some sort of discount rate. So if interest rates, though, were at 10%, that same $110,000 payment in a year would only be worth $100,000. So there's about an 8.9% difference, um, you know, quite a bit of difference. In other words, when interest rates are really low, uh, the present value is higher based upon future cash flows. So think about earnings in companies and uh, you're trying to, to put a value on a company based upon the growth of what you're going to see in a year from now or two years from now. And Buffett talked about that. He said, look, when interest rates are going up and you're trying to, to value companies, uh, the more interest rates go up, the more you have to discount down uh, today the value of those future earnings. When interest rates go lower, you don't have to discount it down as much, meaning those future earnings are worth more. And so that's why interest rates are so important. And maybe somebody out there will come up with a way to take the, you know, the percent market cap to, to nominal GDP. And I said, right, you know, the last calculation was right around 140%. Uh, maybe they'll come out with a way to uh, you know, multiply that by some factor that adjusted based upon the interest rate. But look, I mean, that, that's sort of the Buffett indicator uh, is just a way to sort of evaluate whether or not based upon where the market cap is to GDP whether that relationship is on the high side or the low side. I've also heard people talk about if this is above 100, uh, you shouldn't you think about maybe not putting as much money into stocks. And when it's below 100, that's the time to, quote unquote, throw money in stocks. Here's the thing, though. When you look at this indicator, um, Buffett mentioned, or I referenced uh, the talk in the article about 1964 to 1981, which is a virtual flat period of returns over 17 years in stocks, you know, going back and I'll, again, I'll link to it, um, from 1951, it didn't go above a hundred percent, uh, from 1951 all the way to 1997. 
And so that period that we talked about, that 1964 period, it was roughly, let's see, only around, oh, I don't know, 75% or so, 77%. And so you got to kind of look at this and uh, it's not necessarily saying, hey, it's the best time to go into stocks when it's below 100, you should run away when it's above 100. The thing with valuations, it always gets back to this idea of trying to time the market. And so, look, I mean, there's a couple things, just focusing on the the indicator itself for a second, which again is taking the market cap divided by the the GDP. There's a couple ways that this could change. The percent could go lower if GDP were to grow. And so if we start to see the economy continue to grow, if you see the economy grow more than the market cap grows, you would expect that number to come down. You could see corporate earnings continue to grow. Um, and so this isn't, you know, there's a lot of things that could affect this. You also could see interest rates change. And if interest rates were to change materially, it goes back to the whole idea, you've got these future earnings or future cash flows that have to be discounted down. So that's uh, that's one of the things to think about with any indicator. Now, the other valuation metrics that I keep getting questions on is the Schiller PE ratio. And so this is another one of these that are looking at earnings on the S&P 500 and trying to come up with a price to earnings, uh, not in the current period, but averaging over a number of periods. And so the Schiller PE, of course, is you're looking at essentially 10 years and you look at the yearly earnings of the S&P 500 over those past 10 years. You have an annual number each of those 10. And then what they do is uh, they adjust the earnings for inflation. And so let's say you had earnings from you know 2008. You would need to inflation adjust those earnings to 2018 dollars, to today's dollars. And basically what happens is you take each of those years after you adjust for inflation and you add the values up, you divide by 10, and that gives you your average inflation-adjusted earnings. And then you look at the price. So then the current price of the S&P 500 divided by the inflation-adjusted 10-year average of earnings. And what you get is the Schiller-PE ratio. And so in the Schiller-PE ratio, what they're trying to do there is try and figure out are is the price to earnings, and again, I just explained how he does the earnings, is that on the high side or the low side, and where is that? Well, just looking, and I'll link to a site which, uh, which computes it and graphs it, um, so I'll let, let you take a look at the graph on that site. Uh, but the most recent one was about 33 and a quarter. To give you an example, right before uh, the tech meltdown in, in 2000, it was close to 45. And if you go, uh, this data goes, God, it goes way back to, uh, looks like 1929. Uh, the Black Tuesday was about 30. Black Monday, which is October of 87, that was roughly 17. So that's just another way of looking at valuation. And one of the things is, you know, people always say, okay, I can look at valuation, but if I'm worried the market's too high or if I have, you know, what are the solutions? So I'll get into that. Uh, but there's, um, you know, the Buffett ratio, the 
Schiller PE ratio. These are all ways to try and evaluate over time where the market is compared to where it was. It's not a predicting you know, feature. It's not trying to say where markets are going to go. And the really important thing, and I'm, if I remember who said the quote, I'll, I'll post it in a link, uh, but it's this idea that, that markets can, can stay irrational more, longer than you can stay solvent. I think I got that right. And valuation is only one thing, but markets are also driven by supply and demand, by buyers and sellers. And you can see changes in, in earnings. You can see changes in, in the economy. And so, I mean, look, we don't necessarily know where the market's going to go. You can certainly look at these valuations. Uh, but you can look at these valuations and say, look, there was a valuation here and the market still, still did something. So really, the message continues to be the same. If you're an investor and you're in the markets, I think the best way to do this is not try and game this thing, not try and figure out when you think the market's overvalued, undervalued. I think it's better to just stay in the market but be hedged. Be in strategies that put a floor in a portfolio or be in strategies that put a buffer uh, on the downside. And by doing these, and I'll certainly, I'm going to link to two different episodes, two or three different episodes that we did uh, where we talked about some specific strategies uh, and how those look to uh, to change the risk profile. But I'll link to those. But the message is, look, I mean, just stay invested in the market, but why not be invested? And if you get the upside, great. If the markets uh, go down, you have protection or buffers in there. And I could go on and, and talk about the whole idea. You know, you've probably seen those articles if you got out of the market and you missed the five or 10 best, best days in the market, you would have missed X percent annually and your returns would be much less. Uh, people also say, hey, if you missed the ten, the five or 10 worst days in the market, your returns would have been much better. But really, the, the only way to get the, the upside is to be in the market. Um, the only way to, to avoid those five or 10 worst days is if you somehow could have predicted when those were, got out of the market and then got back in. It's just really difficult over time. And so on valuation, hopefully that gives you just, you're going to be hearing about this stuff in the, in the news media, whether it's the Schiller PE ratio, or you're going to hear about the Buffett indicator. They're just ways of trying to capture what valuations are um, and look at it historically. And also, you know, you tend to chart these things, but as far as strategies, stay invested, be hedged, be buffered. All right, folks, going to keep this one short this week. We'll be back next week with uh, another episode. Hope you enjoyed this. And by the way, uh, one of the things I wanted to ask everybody, you know, everyone says, hey, rate my podcast, give it five stars, write a good review. Rather than do that, what I want to ask everyone to do is if you think somebody would benefit from this or be interested in, in the conversation and the topics that were being covered here, share it. Send the link to, to somebody and uh, maybe they, they haven't been turned on to podcasts quite yet. Uh, a lot of people still, when I talk to them, they're not really sure what a podcast is. How do I get it? Is it a radio broadcast? It, what exactly happens here? So uh, do your uh, your friends and, uh, and maybe coworkers a favor and uh, let them in on the uh, what's going on with podcasts. And if you can share a link to, to my episodes, I would appreciate it. All right, folks, we'll see you next week. 